Amen. Have your Bible this morning. Open it up again to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 3, where we are studying together one of the most critical portions of Scripture because of the questions that it will answer for us. Philippians chapter 3, let me begin reading in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again to is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Beloved, when you look at these 11 verses, they are answering three critical questions that we all need to have the right answer to. The first question is, what is counterfeit Christianity? The second question is, what is true Christianity? And then the third question is, how do I become a part of true Christianity? Or maybe it should be stated, how can one escape counterfeit Christianity and become a part of true Christianity? You see, rightly understanding these answers to these questions are critical because... They are the difference between eternal life or eternal death in the lake of fire. And when we finish these passages together, each of you will have the right answers and will be able to apply them to yourself and see whether or not you are a part of true Christianity and to see where you stand with God. Now, if you recall, last Sunday together, we answered the first question of what is counterfeit Christianity. And the simple answer to that question is this, that the Apostle Paul gave us in verse 2 is, counterfeit Christianity is anything that attempts to identify or associate with Christianity, yet it denies that a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul was emphatic about this, warning the church the church here at Philippi, about this threat of counterfeit Christianity because, as you recall, beloved, he knew that it was dangerous. And he knew that it was demonic. 
And he knew that it was deceiving to people. And Paul had firsthand experience with this. Really, since the beginning of his ministry, he has been followed and he had been dogged by those that were these Judaizers that were part of counterfeit Christianity that were coming behind Paul and they were twisting and distorting the gospel. And Paul knew that this teaching did not come from God. And that though this teaching made the proposal that it was connecting people to Christ, in reality it was actually cutting them off from receiving any of the benefits of Christ. Because, beloved, they were teaching so close to Christianity that's why it is so dangerous. If you recall, it, it is so dangerous because it looks a lot like the true thing, but it was not. Because they were saying that you couldn't just have faith in Christ alone, a repentant faith of turning and putting your faith in Him alone. They were saying you had to do other things in order to be saved. And Paul was addressing this with them. But now this morning is we're going to focus in on verse 3. I want us to answer the second question that Paul answers for us, and that is, what then is true Christianity? What is true Christianity? What, is, what does it look like? How would you define it? Paul is going to help us to understand that this morning, and he does it in two ways. When you look again at verse 3, you're going to see he, he helps to define true Christianity by doing two things for us. First, by drawing a line in the sand. He draws a line in the sand between false counterfeit Christianity and true Christianity. And then secondly, he then goes on to describe what true Christianity looks like. He goes on to define what true Christianity really is by giving us a description of those that are a part of true Christianity. Now let's look first at this line that he draws in the sand, making the distinction, the difference, the division that is there between the counterfeit and the real thing. He does it, beloved, if you compare the end of verse 2 to the beginning of verse 3. At the end of verse 2, when he's talking about counterfeit Christianity, he describes them as the false circumcision. But notice that he goes on to say in verse 3, for we are the true circumcision. He's drawing a line there. He's wanting them to understand they are the mutilators. We are the true circumcision. And this is a strong blow that Paul is issuing here when you remember who it is that he's talking about. He's not talking about some pagan Gentiles. He's talking about Jewish people, some Judaizers that were very committed to following the law. Remember, that's their whole thing. They're saying you can't be saved unless you're actually physically circumcised and you follow the law of Moses. If you don't do that, they were saying, you're not a believer. And Paul says they are actually not even a part of the true circumcision. Paul here is not being politically correct. 
He is being dogmatic. He is drawing lines in the sand, saying, we are true Christianity, they are not. No matter how much they may try to identify themselves as a part of true Christianity, Paul was saying, please understand, they are false and we are the true thing. Paul understands this. In fact, he's emphasizing it because back in verse 3, in the original language, when Paul wrote this in the, in the Greek language, the first word that he writes in the first sentence, and whatever the first word is in a sentence, oftentimes was written in a Greek language to emphasize that word. And the first word he uses there is not the word for, but it's the, it is the word we. He's wanting to highlight, draw the line, understand. Yes, they are the dogs. They are the evil workers. They are the false circumcision. But we... We are not them. We are the true circumcision. He draws this line in the sand. Remember, beloved, why is Paul doing this? It's back there in verse 1. Because when they understand that they are a part of the we, they are a part of the true circumcision that would serve as a source of praise in their heart to God to know that they had truly been saved, that they were right with God, that no matter what these false teachers were saying, which was teaching them that they weren't saved, that they hadn't followed everything they needed to do, Paul's coming behind them and reminding them once again, yes, you are saved. You're a part of the true circumcision. You're a part of the we. Because you genuinely put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. So it would serve as a source of praise for them. But also remember, as he says there in verse 1, he's writing this and he's drawing this line and defining true Christianity because it, he wants it to serve as a safeguard of protection for them. Paul, as I said, has witnessed this time and again. He's witnessed it. He's witnessed it come into churches in this counterfeit teaching that's distorting the gospel. He has seen it impact churches. He's even seen it impact the life of someone even as high up as the Apostle Peter, as his friend Barnabas that served alongside of him. They got caught up in this type of teaching as well. And Paul knows this teaching doesn't come from God. And the devil loves to disguise the truth and he loves to, to bring it as close as he can to being a part of Christianity and not being true Christianity. So Paul here is drawing that line in the sand first off by saying that we are the true circumcision. But then he goes on to describe what is true Christianity. He lays out a definition in some sense for us in this description. And here's how you would describe, if you were going to describe true Christianity from what Paul says here in verse 3, it would be this. True Christianity are those that have been truly born again. Amen. And in being truly born again, they have lives that are characterized by being committed to Christ. They have lives that are characterized as those that are confessing Christ. 
And they have lives that are characterized by those that are confident in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what he's saying there in verse 3. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the ones that are part of true Christianity. You say, well, where do you get the idea him saying that it's those who have been born again. Well, if you go back to verse 3, when he's referring to them as we are the circumcision. That is, we are the true circumcision. This is the reference here that Paul is making to saying that those that are part of true Christianity are those who have been born again. You can go back in the Old Testament and you'll see that there are times in the Old Testament where it refers to God circumcising the heart of man. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, we're told there that the Lord speaks about circumcising their heart so that then they could what? Love Him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. You remember, this is what Jesus spoke about in the Gospels. But the only way someone's going to do that, they can't do that in their strength. You can't do that in your flesh. The only way someone's going to love God like that is if their heart has been circumcised. And that circumcision of the heart, beloved, is those that have been born again. In fact, if you will, for just a moment, turn one book over to the book of Colossians and turn to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, is speaking about the wisdom that is in Christ. And that in verse 9 it says that in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. Now notice what it says in verse 11. And in Him you were also circumcised. What kind of circumcision is he speaking about? You are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's talking there about a spiritual circumcision that takes place. It's not something physical. It's not something that has to do with the hands. It has nothing to do physically at all. There is a spiritual circumcision that happens for those who are truly born again. They are spiritually baptized into Christ and they are spiritually circumcised by the Spirit of God into Christ. In fact, if you will... For just a moment, go back to the book of Romans and go to Romans chapter 2 for just a moment. Go to Romans chapter 2. Just read the last couple of verses in chapter 2. Verse 28, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So again, he's saying circumcision is not about the outward aspect of this, what he's speaking about, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. 
He is saying that ultimately, beloved, even the, the, the true Jew is one, yes, it's going to be a physical descendant of Abraham, but it's going to be someone that's actually had their heart circumcised, that has been born again, that has truly been saved. And this is what Paul is describing for them there back in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, For we are the true circumcision. It is those that have experienced that work in their heart by the Spirit of God, whereby God gives them a new heart, whereby God circumcises their hearts so that they will love God and trust God and put their faith in God, put their faith in Christ. So it is a person who has truly been circumcised of the heart. But notice now, if you will, go back with me to Philippians chapter 3. He says, it is those who have been truly circumcised of the heart. And what happens when somebody is truly circumcised of the heart? One of the ways it will express itself is by their having a life that is committed to Christ, committed to serving Christ. He says it there, he says, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God. We worship in the Spirit of God. Now understand, this word here for worship is actually a more technical word that speaks about serving. It speaks about commitment. It speaks about devotion. In fact, the same word, just to help give you a picture of this, look over just for a moment. Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 9, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the church at Thessalonica and he's speaking about their salvation. And notice what he says. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you and how you turn to God from idols. Why? To serve. The same word that's used there in Philippians 3, 3 that is described there as worship is the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. You turn from God in salvation to serve God. To worship God. A life committed to God. You see, beloved, this is what concerns me at times that we're so quick or we're not as quick to want to address people and help people to understand what truly happens in salvation. Folks can, can pray a prayer and just like that we say it, 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 that they have salvation and maybe they do because if God's working in your heart, you're going to come calling out to Him for salvation. And you'll seek Him in prayer, wanting Him to, to save you and to forgive you of your sins. But beloved, remember now, this circumcision of the heart is on the inside. And if it truly takes place, there won't be just some initial commitment and some type of prayer. There will be a life that is characterized of turning from idols to what? Serve, worship God. Want to just be committed to Christ. Now, none of us are perfect in that. And, and we can fall short in that. And we can all fall on our face about that. And we can struggle at times about that. But there will be a direction in our life whereby we are the ones that are worshiping 
Christ. We are serving Christ. Paul says there, you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. It's the same word that's used over in Romans chapter 12 where he's telling them by the mercies of God, I'm beseeching you, I'm pleading with you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice which is your reasonable service. Same word, your reasonable expression of worship, of serving, being fully committed to Christ. But now notice the key here. Go back to Philippians 3. What is it that is driving this? What is empowering this? It's the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus said to the woman there in John chapter 4? When he goes to there to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and they get in this conversation, and she says, you people, talking about the Jews, say we, we have to come down to the temple. We worship up here in the mountain. And Jesus says, God is looking for worshipers that are going to worship Him in the Spirit and in the truth. He's looking for those that the truth of God's Word, empowered by the Spirit of God, are going to be worshiping, serving, just living a life for Christ. It's something that is empowered by the Spirit of God. Thus, beloved, it is something that's coming from the inside. You see, that's the true Christianity. It's something that comes from the inside of the person and it's, in, it's being stirred and moved and empowered by the Spirit of God. That's why Paul, when he was addressing the church, uh, the churches in Galatia, and he reminded them, he asked them, he says, how is it that you began? Did you begin by the flesh or did you begin by the Spirit? He said, you began by the Spirit, by putting your faith in Christ. You see, beloved, counterfeit Christianity will just focus on the outside. It'll be about rituals. It'll be as Paul describes it over in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to what he says here. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandment and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure they have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. Why? Because fleshly indulgence starts in the heart. You see, the counterfeit Christianities are going to be focusing on the outside. They may be focusing on your hair. They may be focusing on your clothing. They may be focusing on whether you're wearing makeup. They may be focusing on how conservative you're going to dress. They may be focusing on what you eat or what you drink. And not that the Bible doesn't speak to how we dress and dressing modestly and, and the, the things that we say and the things that we do and things of that nature. It does. But understand, beloved, someone can have all those things and still not be part of true Christianity. It has the appearance of wisdom, but it's not. It is something that comes from the heart of the Spirit of God. 
whereby their heart and their life is committed to Christ, just wanting to be devoted to serving Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. He's defining Christianity, true Christianity. And it's easy, beloved, even for us as believers, at times to drift into this. To drift into legalism. To drift into looking more on the outside than on the inside. God knows if he addresses our inside, it will begin to show itself on the outside. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight uh, from Romans chapter 12, where there he does say, you are to commit your bodies to the Lord. But to really do that, you have to commit your mind to the Lord. That is, there has to be the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your thinking. It has to start on the inside and it moves to the outside. So true Christianity is those whose lives are characterized as being committed to Christ. A life, just a life of serving Christ. Let's go back, look at a second description he gives in verse 3. It is also a life that is characterized, as I call it, confessing Christ. Confessing Christ. Notice he says, we are the true circumcision who glory in Christ Jesus. That is, we boast in Christ Jesus. We want to glorify Christ. We want to talk about Christ. Thus, if someone asks a true believer about their salvation, they will want to share it. They will want to talk to them about Jesus. And that will be the focus of their heart and the focus of their life. And let me just show you the opposite of this. Let me show you someone that was caught up in counterfeit Christianity. And you'll see a major difference here. Turn, if you will, for just a moment over to the Gospel of Luke and go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Jesus is telling them a parable, but notice who he's telling it to. He's telling it to some people who are trusting in themselves that they are righteous. This is someone that is sadly caught up in counterfeit Christianity. They're trusting in themselves that they are righteous. And because of that, they're viewing others with contempt. And Jesus helps them to see this by telling the story of two men who go into the temple to pray. The one is a Pharisee. He's the one that Jesus is trying to help to understand. You are trusting in yourselves that you are righteous and you are not righteous at all. And notice how the Pharisee prays. Look at his perspective about life. Look at his perspective about others. Notice what it is he's going to be looking to. When we read through this, what he's praying, notice what he's trusting in. Notice what he's going to talk about. The Pharisee stood in verse 11 and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. 
Notice who he's talking about. He's talking about himself. He's talking about what he's doing. He's talking about what he did. Beloved, that's the way a person talks that is caught up in counterfeit Christianity. Because notice what he's boasting about. He's boasting about himself. He's boasting about what he did. Not about what God did. Not about who God is and what God has done. That's why the difference this tax collector in the story is standing some distance away and he's unwilling to even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he's just beating his breast and he's crying out to God, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Notice what he's saying about himself. I'm an unworthy worm. I'm just a low-life sinner, God. I don't, I'm not even worthy to look up towards you. And he's just beating his breast. Everything about this man says, I have nothing to trust in. I'm not boasting about anything about myself. The only thing I could ever boast in is in you, Lord God. And notice what Jesus says in this story. I tell you, this man, that tax collector, went to his house justified other than the other, rather than the other. Beloved, counterfeit Christianity is going to focus more about on what a person does than on what God has done. And let me just show you this too. Because you need to be careful about this. One of the ways, beloved, I would encourage you to be on the alert when you hear someone teaching on television or wherever it may be. If they, if they tend to boast about themselves, if they tend to boast about their ministry, they tend to boast about all these things regarding themselves, or if they tend to boast and teach and primarily talk about these so-called visions or things that they get from God... Be very careful. Be very careful. And I say that to you because go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. This glorying or this boasting in Christ. There's only a few times when Paul would do, which not, not necessarily what they're talking about here, but would talk about himself. Because Paul was there to talk about Jesus. And in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he's, he's speaking here because, remember, there are false apostles, there are false teachers that are out there that are distorting the gospel. And he says, boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. And on behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For I do not wish to boast. For if I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But if I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me, 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. See, Paul is the man. Paul is the man that was caught up to the third heaven. Paul is the man that's receiving revelation from God. We know that because he's writing scripture. Paul is the man, but notice Paul says, though I'm receiving all these things, these are not the things I'm talking about. I'm not going around talking about any visions that I'm getting from God. I'm not going to boast about things. I'm going to come and talk to you about Jesus Christ and in fact to make sure that I wouldn't become haughty and prideful to keep me from exalting myself. There is given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. I implored the Lord three times concerning this that he might leave me. And the Lord just kept saying to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. You see, Paul was content with his weaknesses. He was content with insults. He was content with distresses. Paul was content with all these things, beloved. So please, I I plead with you, I beg with you, be very careful if you have someone that keeps teaching and they keep referring to their visions from God. Because here's Paul saying, I got visions from God, but it was words I couldn't even say to other people. But yet somehow all these folks are getting these visions that God wants them to share. And a lot of times this is boasting about themselves. But be careful, very careful with that. What Paul is saying is, is that our glorying is to be in Christ. Our confessing is to be about Christ. In fact, that's why Paul... Remember what he says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He says, by his doings, you're in Christ Jesus. By God's doings, you're in Christ Jesus. Thus, no one's to boast in their flesh. You're to boast in the Lord. You boast in the Lord alone. He's quoting there from the Old Testament. He goes on to remind the church at Corinth again in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You see, beloved, you have salvation. You have nothing to boast about. You receive that from God. You have wisdom and understanding about things of the Scripture. We have nothing to boast about. Why? Because you receive that from God. You have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. You have nothing to boast about. Why? Because you receive that from God. Everything that we have is good and right. It is a gift from God. And what we want to do as a part of true Christianity is we just want to be confessing Christ. We just want to keep glorying in Christ. We don't keep boasting about Christ. In fact, if you will, for just a moment, turn over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. 
But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. There it is, that new creation, the new heart. Paul says, look, I just want to boast in Christ. And that's what Paul boasts about. When you read Paul and you even look at his testimony, beloved, he gives the credit, all the glory goes to Christ. So for us as believers, beloved, this is what we're known for. This is what characterizes our life, that when we want to talk to people about salvation, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Christ. We're going to be confessing Christ, boasting in Him, glorying in Him. But thirdly, one last description Paul gives us. It ties right in with the second one. True Christianity is characterized by a life that is just confident in Christ alone. It's just confident in Christ alone. That's why he says there, the one who's been truly circumcised is one who puts no confidence in the flesh. And next time when we look at this, we're going to see some of the things that Paul could have put confidence in the flesh in. And Paul is saying, look, there is nothing Absolutely nothing that we as Christians, we we know we contribute nothing to our salvation. We just come putting our faith in Christ, knowing that Jesus took care of all of it. Knowing that he paid for our sins and our sin debt is only wiped clean by the death of Christ on the cross. And the only way we're going to have good standing and right standing with God is if his righteousness is then credited to us, imputed to us. There's nothing righteous about ourselves. There's nothing we're looking to or depending on. Oh, beloved, we have no confidence in ourselves. Our confidence is completely in Christ. But understand something. Our confidence is completely in Christ for our salvation, our justification, but even in our sanctification. We are to work out our salvation, and ultimately we know that the way we're going to become more like Christ is by the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in our heart, working in our life. We put our confidence in God. He is the one that we trust. Beloved, this is true Christianity. As Paul is describing it here for us in verse 3. Now maybe for some of you here today, you, you, we go through this and you recognize in your own heart, your own life, I, I am a part of true Christianity. This does characterize my life. And I hope if that's the case, that through that, it will be a source of praise and rejoicing in the Lord, that you can rejoice in the Lord because of that. But maybe also, as you think about this, though you know you're a part of true Christianity, you can also see where sometimes you're drifting. Maybe you've drifted in your commitment and your service and worship of the Lord. Maybe you've drifted in your confessing of Christ. Maybe you're drifting some in your confidence in Christ. Maybe sometimes you tend to want to put some confidence in your own works, in your own deeds. And the Lord needs to bring you back to help you to recognize that 
No, it's all in Christ. It's in Christ alone. But maybe for others here today, you've heard Paul here draw the line in the sand. And then he described those that were on the true Christianity side of the sand, of the line. And as you look at that, you realize, but that, that's not me. This is not my life. I'm not one who worships in the Spirit of God. I'm not one who's glorying in Christ. I'm not one that is putting no confidence in the flesh. Beloved, if that's where God is addressing your heart this morning, I want to beg you, I would plead with you, abandon all your pursuits and just come running to Christ. Abandon your self-reliance. Whatever things you may have been relying on and put your trust in Christ alone. Abandon any reliance, anything you have that you are looking to and just come to Christ. Cling to Christ. Through His life, His death, His resurrection as your only hope. Turn from the idols of pursuit that you're running after. Turn away from those to come worship Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.